Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. has now been around for three seasons and coaches everywhere are saving time and being more efficient when it comes to scout cards. Coach Robinson from Texas says, the thing I most enjoy is the ease of access to all the scout cards and how I can draw on them if I need to make any changes. Every coach that uses it says that it is so great to use. If you and your staff are tired of the old ways of preparing and using scout cards, check out thecoachpad.com start enjoying scout team and making the 2023 season better than ever uh welcome back to another episode of the gap down backer podcast um today we have a friend of the channel um another fellow youtuber and college head coach uh nick davis the head football coach at ottawa university coach how you doing pretty good excited to talk ball with you again you're doing a great job and uh getting a lot of great information out there and it's another off season. So I'm looking forward to listening to everything you got coming out. I appreciate that coach. Um, kind of, I mean, we, we talked a little bit off screen, but I mean, kind of you, you took over in the spring at Ottawa. Um, you were on staff. Um, again, I'm not going to ask your background. You've been on here before, but what was the transition? Like, obviously there was some speed bumps. I mean, it was staffing because of various things, but uh, what was it? I mean, in your opinion, was the transition a little more seamless because you were already on staff and had been there before than it would have said been um, had you come from directly from Rose Holman to be the head coach? Yeah, you know, I, I do think it was a little easier. Uh, you know, Coach Kessinger had been here for 18 years. The defensive coordinator, Thomas Pearson, left to take a Division II opportunity at, at Gannon. Um, and uh, Julian Mendez, one of my greatest friends in the world, he was our offensive coordinator at the time. He's like, you got to get out here, man, and uh, convinced my wife uh, two years ago, and I was the defensive coordinator there in the the 2021 uh, season here, and then Coach Kessinger kind of retired at the end of the year, and, uh, you know, the program was turned over to me, and uh, so... Went through a good, pro, uh, you know, good transition there. I, I took over really about a year ago today. And, uh, you know, uh, I was telling you, we, we lost our defensive coordinator who I promoted. You know, I'm a big guy of like, a, you know, I'm a big defensive guy, but, you know, let's have everybody on my staff have a great role so they can go on and, and do better jobs. So our defensive coordinator, Wes Coombs, took a Division two job at Chatham State in the middle of spring ball last year. So I had to flip back over to be the defensive coordinator. Um, so I do think the transition was a lot easier because I already knew, you know, people in admissions. Uh, and there were some people from when I was a graduate assistant 10 years ago that were still in the same positions. Coach Kessinger's wife is in, in charge of financial aid. Uh, I'll go there and and have a conversation with her 
a, a ton. Uh, at the time, our director of admissions, Andy Otto, was a kid who uh, played football around the same time as a graduate assistant. The dean of students here, Donald Anderson, is a former football player. Our associate athletic director is a former football player. So the major players on campus that are able to, you know, help me out and I'm able to help them, uh, there's ties to the football program. So that did make things, I think, pretty easy for me. And I already knew, you know, who to go to if there was a problem. And uh, a lot of the coaches were the same from when I was a graduate assistant 10 years in terms of the other coaches across the department. Well, good. Now, I mean, kind of, I mean, we'll kind of hit a couple things on, on your first year. First, I mean, you ended up giving up the defense um, for the most part. I mean, what was, I mean, for being a longtime defensive coordinator, what what was that process like for you? And then, and then two, how, how much, how hard was it to stay away from, I mean, obviously you just still have your input as head coach, but how hard was it to stay away from the day to day? And it's not your system really anymore because you gave up the reins. What was that kind of like process like for you? Yeah, so it was, you know, interesting at the time we had four full-time positions, uh, two on offense and two on defense. So hiring a defensive coordinator is important to me to kind of let that guy come in. But I really wanted to use the same terminology that I built for the last uh, 10 years as a defensive coordinator. Uh, one, because our, our kids already knew that terminology. We were really bringing back our whole entire starting defense minuses minus like one or two pieces that had some big time playing time. And, um, you know, my big philosophy is we're going to play man coverage across the board and make quarterbacks beat us and make wide receivers beat us and uh, be able to be really multiple in what we do. So um, reach out across the country, you know, a lot of really good candidates, actually high school candidates uh, across the country that were interested the biggest problem, uh, some of those candidates were in Texas and they pay really well for high school football <laughs> coaches in Texas compared to maybe what some of the smaller college level. So just for advice out there for, you know, high school coaches that are interested in college football, sometimes it's not always, grass is always greener in terms of the salary from what, you know, you may have if you go to a, if you work in a state that has great benefits and a great salary structure, um, like some of the states do. So, uh, Quickly, the talent or the the pool for our D coordinator position kind of shrunk and Dante Barty kind of stood out. Um, I had a relationship with a bunch of guys on the Internet that, you know, had he had done podcasts for or done clinics for and uh, I'd kind of followed him over the years. So uh, he came in with the philosophy that he's going to play man coverage, you know, across the board. And that's what I want. And. He was really good at, you know, hey, I'll, I'll do it in your terminology and, you know, always asking me questions why this. And then then our offensive coordinator's wife takes a head softball job at a Division two down in Texas. And I got to flip over on the offensive side of the ball about two weeks before the season. So um, for the most part, everything we did was, you know, the same terminology. How Coach Barty wants to play man coverage um, press versus how we played press. When I was coaching the DBs, you know, there's going to be little differences there. But at the end of the day, we're playing press. Um, we're playing middle of the field close coverages. He's a big middle of the field open bracket coverage guy, which we had dabbled with a little bit. But he's more hardcore into that. Um, and it's just kind of the different levels. He'd been used to, you know, Division One football where the quarterbacks can maybe beat you, even if 
they're not the best quarterback in the conference. And, you know, I've been used to the lower college level. So I do think that we've probably helped each other become better football coaches um, because he had been at that upper division one level and I'd been at division three. And now we've met in the middle here at the, the NAIA level, which to me is, you know, the NAI level, there's great football. Um, and in fact, there was a few NAI teams that beat division two teams this year and uh, Kaiser's in the final four um, in the playoffs and, and they went toe to toe with division two schools. So um, those are, um, you know, just little highlights of how we got to our defensive coordinator position, how I became an offensive coach at, right before camp and kind of, you know, allowing coach Barty to a run with it, you know, and, pretty hands off, you know, never once did I say, Barty, we got to blitz or we got to play this certain coverage or we got to do something um, crazy. And I was pretty hands off with our offensive coordinator. The, the only time I was ever is um, we were, we were winning a football game against a triple option team and we were up 15 points and there was eight minutes left. And I said, let's just run it to the clock. And if we can get a first down, they're not going to be able to score 15 points and you know what at the end of the drive when we punted there was five minutes left i'm like they're just not gonna be able to do it it's it's not possible for you know how they operate a perfect coach i mean it, it like uh, let's talk about that because you mentioned you transition offense what what has that transition been like for you because like again you've been a long time defense successful defense coordinator of rose holman i mean what is that transition to offense and adapting to that and kind of what have you brought to that um for the offense yeah, so uh, my first, uh, I was defensive GA at Ottawa my first two years. And then when I went to Rose Holman, initially, I was coaching running backs and our tight end super back positions and our special teams coordinator for my first three years. Our defensive coordinator left, like I'd always been a defensive guy. I'd always was taking notes in my notebook of when I became a defensive coach. These are things that our offensive coordinator at the time, Brian Wyatt, hated. So I was always taking those notes. and. Um, then obviously I became the defensive coordinator, got here, and then I got to go switch over to offense. Well, Tyler Hennis is our OC here. He was coaching our, our quarterbacks and our wide receivers. Losing our O-line, you know, full-time O-line assistant was uh, pretty big right before this season. But I'm a guy like, let, let's not complain about things. Like, let's make the best thing possible. We had a graduate assistant who had actually played offensive line for Coach Hennis the year before at his Division Two. So we were able to, you know, kind of put that guy in that role because we felt that he would be more comfortable in that role than another role. And uh, I took over the the running back and, and the tight end room. So it was pretty easy transition because those are two positions that I had coached, you know, at Rose Holman. Coach Hennis did a great job of, you know, uh, making sure that as I was the head coach that he was able to, you know, he took on more duties probably than what he needed to in terms of, you know, the running backs, tight ends, quarterbacks and receivers met a lot together and uh, to kind of take things off of my plate uh, as a, you know, it was very strange for me as a, you know, a coach because I had always, you know, for the last eight years of my career, I had been the guy that ran the room as a coordinator or obviously as a position coach. So to kind of sit back, you know, and sit another, you know, watch a, another coordinator kind of run a room all season was uh, interesting to me to see how he did things and how the kids picked up on stuff. So uh, it was a, a good, you know, good, great season in terms of that. And, you know, just sitting there always telling them, hey, this always gave me a, a hard time. You know, GT is always something, create multiple gaps, 
hard time, pin and pull, things like that, you know, getting the ball on the perimeter. Of course, you got to block those things, but just telling them like, these are things I would not want to see and uh, him being able to implement that in, in what we would do. Now, I mean, a couple things there, like, I mean, you've mentioned throughout this is about hiring a staff and moving people around. When you're looking at your staff, obviously the spring, I mean, some of it was, okay, I have a late opening. I got to fill it. I got to figure out what to do. Sometimes you got to just move people because obviously when you get hired or when you have a late opening, the candidate pool's not large compared to what it would be, say, if you're, you post a job in January. Um, so when you're looking at the hiring process, both from last year and going into this year, how do you evaluate that? And then how do you, how do you approach how you're going to reach out to candidates, talk to candidates and what you're looking for? Yeah. You know, obviously, you know, uh, my dogs are barking downstairs, but uh, obviously football scoop is a huge tool. Um, you know, I do have quite a bit of following on, on social media, so that helps. Uh, and one thing that we'll do is, you know, once the, the candidates have applied, we will narrow it down from, you know, if it's a January hire, you're, you're looking at potentially, you know, we got close to 100 resumes for an offense coordinator position to a, um, which Coach Barty was in the middle of the summer. You know, we're looking at 40 to 50, um, you know, at least into our internal system. There's other people that shoot you an email and do this and you say, hey, fill out the thing internally and, and they don't do it. And you're like, kind of how we do recruiting. Like, if you're not going to fill out our questionnaire, if you're not going to apply to our school, we're not going to recruit you. If you don't do the little stuff, you're probably not going to want to do the little stuff when I ask you to do it as a head coach. So um, we'll do that. And uh, what we did was, yeah, we, we had our 40 candidates. We narrowed it down to probably about 20 candidates. I reached out to them and said, you know, anybody can look great on paper. Yeah. And there's a lot of head high school coaches or college coaches that, you know, if they don't have a, you know, a horse in the race, they're looking at the resume and all that sort of stuff. So we, we took those 20 resumes I thought looked good. And I said, I want to do, we, we do video interviews. So what I'll give them is I'll make them record it. So uh, I'll say, hey, you know, for example, which Coach Barty had to do in 10 minutes, which is really tough, is Coach Barty had to, um, sorry about those dogs. My wife just got I'm, home there. Um, calm down. But uh, Coach Barty in 10 minutes had to describe Ripley's match. He had to describe one of his favorite blitzes. He had to describe um, being able to play uh, like a quarters concept which was very tough to do that in 10 minutes. But what I, you know, what you found when you went back and you watched all the videos were what coaches were super detailed, but also didn't put all the detail into the first seven minutes of the video. And then the last three minutes, they knew the time was running out um, and had no detail or, you know, cause it's recorded. It's a recorded video. You could be perfect if you want. The number of people of those 20 candidates that submitted something that, you know, they knew they messed up or they knew that they went 11 minutes and 30 seconds or, the, you know, something within the video got them flustered, you know, and maybe they recorded seven times or something. But it's like, if I give you uh, the ability to be perfect, you know, that isn't a Zoom interview, well... I'm going to look for the guy that's as close to perfect as possible. And coach Barty was kind of that guy. So um, that's kind of the initial 
thing. So let's narrow that pool from 20 to now let's narrow it to six and let's do a zoom interview, you know, and see if we can narrow that to three and bring guys on campus. So that's one thing we've done. And in fact, uh, coach Coombs told that to the Chattern state head coach, and he really liked that. He's like, I never heard of anything like that. So we try to take a big pool. And what I like about this is it also gives a high school coach some chances because at the end of the day, like the knock on a high school coach is, oh, he's got no recruiting experience or he's not around football all day. Well, there's plenty of high school football coaches that are recruiting their classrooms and the hallways and they love football and they do all this stuff. Yeah. This video gives them the chance to show that they're just as good as Dante Barty. And in fact, of the, the 20 candidates, when we narrowed it down to six, we had two high school you know, current coaches. Now, some of those guys had GA experience at the, at the college level, so it was a good mixture. But, uh, and then what I did was uh, we were able to share those videos with our defensive players, you know, when we got to the, the kind of the, the six. And I said, well, guys, you like the best, you know, you're going to have to play for these guys. And uh, so that's one unique thing that we'll do. Uh, it takes a lot of time, right? You know, if there's 20 candidates and they're 10 minutes, like I'm spending a lot of time watching videos, but it's one of the most important hires you can make when you're bringing a coordinator into your program. So that's something that I do because, again, if you're not going to be good on video, that's what the kids are going to see in front of a classroom. Oh, perfect. I, I love how detailed that is, Coach. Like, I mean, sit, and to your point, yeah, that is always a knock. Like, I see stuff on Football Scoop, and I think a lot of high school coaches do as well, and it says must have three years of recruiting experience. Well, you just eliminated any high school coach, and there's a lot of good ones. And you, you mentioned Texas already, especially. I mean, that would probably make great – coordinators or position coaches for you but if you just eliminate them because of lack of recruiting experience it's kind of like you don't really understand that a high school coach has to recruit year-round their kids and their building and their hallways um and and they deal with transfers who can reach out to them and they got to deal with that process and so it's a whole i mean high school coaches have a different mindset of recruiting um but kind of i mean i mean continuing like as you look back at year one I mean, I think all of us realize, that, I mean, every year there's something you can do better. As you kind of reflect as year one, I mean, what do you kind of, how are you shifting your focus going into year two? Like, this is what needs to be improved, or this is how I'm going to, I'm going to alter some things, or what is your kind of your, the plan that you're starting to establish from year one to year two? Yeah, you know, and a lot of it was reflection on myself, uh, you know, you go through spring ball, Nick, and uh, it's, I felt like everyone was really bought in, in in our spring ball. And there's no adversity. You know, you're not losing games. You're not playing other people. You're playing against each other. You know, the only adversity was that we, you know, lost our defensive coordinator after the first spring practice. But our kids have been really good because I've been preaching the mindset of positivity. We go through John Gordon training and all these sort of things to, make sure because I know there's going to be adversity so I felt we were really good where I think I couldn't do a better job coming in well then I add 60 more new people into this program and think everything's just going to be perfect again and then you lose you know and then everything is right everything appears perfect and you lose the first game to the defending conference champs and you're beating them at halftime and it's like okay all right, and then you lose your second game to the 
three-way conference champ team this year. And you're thinking, okay, you know, and, and we're facing adversity and everybody's still like, man, okay, maybe we just had a tough schedule because we had a tough schedule the year before. And you're game three and you're, and you're winning it and you got a breakaway touchdown and you're running back throws up the deuces and now you're uh, first and 10 from the 35. Just adversity kept striking and our kids kept rebounding, but it was like now we're four or five weeks into the season and we're 0-5 and I'm starting to think, Maybe these kids weren't as bought in. Some of the older kids weren't as bought in as, as I thought they were, you know, and you got younger kids that, you know, maybe they're thinking, hmm, I'm not as bought in as I thought I was going to be with what Coach Davis wants to do. So I really had to buckle down and, and really go, you know, we talk about family, we talk about accountability and mindset, and I had to buckle down even more, you know, and I thought, you know, you think, okay, you bring back seniors and all this sort of stuff, and you're going to have great leaders. I felt like I failed our program because I didn't train our leaders to lead when people weren't willing to follow them. They were great leaders if people were going to follow them. We showed that in the spring. We showed that, you know, early in the season. When we're sitting at 0-5, they're thinking, maybe the leaders don't know what they're talking about, or I'm not going to listen to that guy. So I really came in and, you know, I want to give our leaders the tool. So one thing we'll be doing this spring and, and next fall is, you know, we had, we had the kids vote for captains and that's all great. You know, sometimes that's a popularity contest and that's what we felt like we had a, a wide receiver, great kid, great follower. One of the best followers you tell this kid to do anything. He would do anything for uh, his teammates and himself. But if, you know, if a kid, kid dropped a football and the standard was make that kid do push-ups. Like he wasn't that type of guy that was going to go out of his way to do something. You know, he, he didn't want to lead and our team elected him as a leader. So what we did going forward is we said, Hey, we sent out a message to the whole team who wants to be a leader and you don't have to be a leader and the leader is going to have some shitty jobs. All right. <laughs> and kids signed up for it. And the first thing we did was we went, after equipment turn in is we went and cleaned our locker room with our leading group, the, the group that wanted to be leaders, guys that showed up late, guys that didn't show up on time. You're not leaders anymore. And we'll split our team up into groups, but each leader is going to be responsible for everyone in his group to do everything, you know, whether it's showing up on time and put some skin in the game because I am going to develop leaders at the end of this. If we have eight teams, there's going to be eight guys on our team for sure that are going to know, you know, what everyone on their team that we break up, uh, what makes them tick, what makes them come to things, you know, and they're going to get punished. If, if their kid doesn't come to 5.45 a.m. weightlifting, the leader of that team is going to get punished because it was his job to get him there. Now, if it's a thing that happens repeatedly, you know, maybe we need to talk to that individual and maybe we – you know, figure out what's going on with him and is he with us or is he against us and some of those things. So that's what we're going to try to accomplish this spring and next season is I need to do a better job because I'm a big guy of, you know, we weren't two and eight because of our players or our coaches. We were two and eight, a whole thing, but I'm the leader of this op operation. So I have to do a better job. And if people are saying our leaders weren't great, it was because I didn't give our leaders the tools so they could be great. So that's the biggest thing that we're going to try to accomplish in our program 
is giving our leaders the tools to lead. And and one of the big tools of leading is the, the kids aren't going to listen to you if they don't know you care about them. You know, everyone says that about coaches. Well, that's the same for leaders. If yeah. I'm a senior and I don't even know your name and I'm saying, hey, you need to get the weightlifting at this time and you, you don't even know that freshman's name, why is he going to listen to you? You know, so those are the big things we're going to try to get accomplished this spring and next fall. Now, I, I kind of go back and now I have a, so you, back to your hiring thing, because I had this thought while you were talking and going over leadership and um, when you are like, I'll use Dot back to Dante's example, you had him describe Ripple is, is that description of Ripple is because he he's well known for knowing Ripple is? Or is it be is there is there was just general curiosity there? Like, was it a? I'll rephrase this question. Was it a standard question? Like, I want blitz, ripples, and the, something out of quarters, or was it parlayed to kind of the resume or what you knew about those certain candidates? You know, I mean, it, the biggest thing to me was let me give you something that obviously Dante was comfortable, and Dante doesn't play ripples match. And, and I really, you know, had dabbled in, in Ripley's match. I knew about it, but I knew it was going to be a tough question because you'd be amazed by the number of people that didn't know what Ripley's was, you know, or didn't even think about, let me Google it. Let me get on YouTube and, and watch, you know, the defensive coordinator at Indiana Wesleyan, you know, because you type in Ripley's match, college football, um, yeah. that, that video is going to pop up or there's going to be video, you know, there's going to be podcasts with you where yeah. you're talking so I picked something in my mind was I wanted our guy, the, the candidates to, you know, do a little research, you know, if they didn't know about it. And, you know, I even said, Hey, if you have any questions, let me know. And the number of people I, some, you know, and I'm not trying to like throw shade on anyone because football is football, but if you didn't know what Ripley's match was like research it now, there is a communication. So if at your high school, your quarters is called Ripley's match, um, you know, I'm sorry. Um, but you know, the vast majority of the country, you know, if you just typed in Ripple Liz match into Google, you're going to figure out kind of what it was. So, um, I knew it was something difficult that you needed to be able to describe. And I knew that a Ripple match install could take an hour. And I wanted to see even a smart guy like Dante, can he do this in 10 minutes? and be detailed like I want him to be, but also be, you know, fast enough. And, you know, he, he did it exactly like I would have done it. Like I'm flying through a thousand miles per hour and, and trying to ha handle every detail. And, and, you know, there were some coaches that took their time, you know, cause um, you got 10 minutes. So if, if you ever have to do this, all right, for anyone in the audience, that's ever going to apply for a job for me. It was amazing that, you know, people that wasted time drawing things on a board. Some of the best ones were the guy literally had every picture drawn up on the board with every coverage. And he's just changed the video shot. Like that's, that's brilliant because he wasn't wasting two minutes drawing up a formation and then forgetting the 11th guy on defense. And then that looks bad. Like everything, some of the best candidates had was they had the whole picture drawn up on the whiteboard or they had slides with it already up and they quickly flipped to it and explained it. And uh, so just, just seeing the detail, cause then you're looking at, man, this guy thought ahead 
enough in his mind knowing that this is going to take longer than 10 minutes if I have to draw this up. Because then small college football, not only does Dante Barty have to be our DB's coach and be our defensive coordinator, he's got to be our academic coordinator. He needs to make sure all of our guys are eligible. Um, he's got a role within our community and campus outreach. This guy's got seven, eight jobs. So he's got to be able to do more than just be a football coach. Um, and the last question I'll ask you, cause like I said, this was never going to be, I mean, this is just us bouncing ideas and not, I really wanted to ask you about hiring and your transition your first year, but I had this, this popped in my head while you were talking, while you were talking. And, um, and I know this a little bit cause I've watched your stuff and we've talked before and, I mean, we, 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 I mean, we have a relationship. I mean, why, because you mentioned that you wanted whoever you brought in as DC to run a lot of man coverage, whether it'd be slightly different than you, like Dante runs his own variation of man match and he's a lot more sync, uh, middle field close compared to your middle field open stuff. But still, um, why as, as much man coverage, especially at your level, because it's, it's not necessarily like D3 and I, and I compare NIA a lot more to D2. Because you give scholarships like D two, mm-hmm. um, just just there, there's a lot of similarities with D two and yep. I mean, overall. So why why man coverage at the NAI level? Yeah, so and and like I would you know say to anyone in the country, you know, NAI level, we got guys on our team that can play at some of the best Division two schools in the country, and we got guys on our team that would play at Division three. You know, I think NAI is a mixture. We don't have a full roster of division two players, but there's a lot of division two schools out there that are, do not have a full roster of division two guys. They got to get walk-ons, you know, from the division three type players. And, um, you know, just like I had football players at Rose Holman that would come start for me right here at Ottawa university. And, and we in fact had a, a linebacker one year that went and was a captain at Western Michigan and for PJ Fleck um, as a linebacker two years later after he had to sit out the dumb rule of if you transfer up, you had to sit out a year. The kid goes from no scholarship division three to having to sit out a year to full scholarship division one and captain of his football team at, at Western Michigan. But, uh, um, you know, uh, sorry, where, where was I going with this? <laughs> why you're, why you play man coverage at the end? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. So man, yeah, yeah. So it is interesting. So we see a lot of, you know, I would say older school quarters coverage in this conference and so the difference between last season and this season last season we had one of the best quarterbacks in the country and a a ton of dynamic wide receivers in our conference so you know big reason why I want to play man coverage is I I do want to play tight coverage I want to force incomplete passes uh being able to play you know a version of cover one allows you to also load the box um and be able to stop the run a little bit so um and i'm always a guy that i think if you looked at it coach barty was the guy in this league that played 75 percent man coverage they're probably not another team you know and again quarters is man coverage if you play action it's cover zero yes. with a four-man rush all right and you got flat defenders well if all f- four guys are going vertical it's cover zero. So the big reason I love to play cover one, you know, I was going to have a guy deep regardless to kind of save my butt. If one of those receivers got burnt now, you know, everyone in the country just watched Ohio state, Michigan, 
and Michigan scored a lot of touchdowns because Ohio State was playing man. Well, Ohio State, when they played against Don Brown, scored a lot of touchdowns when Don Brown was playing man. But Michigan was also playing a lot of man, too, against Ohio State in certain situations. They weren't always playing zone defenses in, in, in different regards. Like, you have to be multiple. And I would say my doubt and fall as a defensive coordinator is I wasn't multiple enough. Um, and I think um, Coach Barty did a nice job of playing two high bracket coverage, playing one high cover one, and then he's got a nice variation of a, a kind of a Tampa two that morphs into different things. So he was doing a good job of that. And then he's even talked about, you know, being able to expand upon like, hey, if the quarterbacks aren't, if the quarterback play and receiver play is not great in this conference, why would we play bracket defense? Why would we play cover one? Why wouldn't we play more zone defense where we can get some more defenders eyes but um, me and him feel very similar like a five yard open hitch like makes both of our skin, skins crawl like why are we letting the offense just get five or ten yards whenever they want it let's make them earn it in every situation you know in the country and and what we see at this level is there's bounce back division one players elite junior college kids that maybe are undersized and you're going to have to be able to take away that guy with a bracket defense or a cover one or a you know um being able to play some versions of, of tampa two or, or things like that so that's kind of why i like doing it uh low percentage throws and, and being at rose we were up tempo so we wanted the ball as many times as possible. Well, if incomplete passes happen. And when I was at Rose, we were number two in the country consistently in terms of um, incomplete passes, the clock stopped. And if the clock stopped and there's incomplete passes, now when my offense, who's up-tempo and scoring a lot of points, has the football, they're going to get more possessions in the game. Um, so and if – you're facing a lot more second and, and tens and third and tens than allows your, you know, guys to kind of let loose a little bit, but you're going to give up 20 and 30 yard fade balls um, just because you're trying to roll the dice. And my biggest philosophy is I was always willing to lose by 72 to beat somebody by one point. Okay. Not perfect coach. Um, well, coaches uh, one, uh, give coach a follow on Twitter. That's the, that's the easy thing. Um, and, that way you can get uh, caught up with not only his program um, and everything he's doing, but also if you need to reach out to him or if you have any kids, send his way. Um, he's I know Coach is always looking for good athletes at the NAIA level. Um, and like I said, it's a little different in D3. I mean, they can, they can provide some money here and there. Again, that's all different on each school. Um, give I mean, he's he still got a YouTube channel, so he's got a bunch of content there. He's got other content on my stuff. Uh, do you have anything on Coach Tube that I can plug for you as well? Or Yeah, you, if you just search me on Coach Tube, I got kind of uh, our uh, front and movement, you know, patterns of kind of the system we've created. Again, you know, it, it, what the, the terminology, the names and stuff is what works for us and, and our people. But, you know, just having a system and being able to allow it to work is great because even like Dante is sitting here he's like okay yeah that makes sense like he gets it because he knows the way I think now and he's like comes in my <laughs> office like what would we call this and I'm like oh we would call something that with an O and he's like yeah, yeah that's what I figured like what did you call it in the past and I was like oh yeah we call that ostrich and he's like okay yeah that makes sense like he gets the way I think now so he can kind of come in my office with this crazy idea and I'm like oh I did that eight years ago yeah that's 
That's Flamingo. I'm just going to leave it there. All right. Uh, <laughs> and that's the in our episode of the Gap Now Backer podcast. Thank you.